0: Good evening, folks, and welcome to the Stone and Tile Show. I am your host, Fred Houston, uh, sitting here uh, like I know a lot of people are out there. You folks hopefully are uh, are, are keeping busy, uh, if not keeping busy with business, at least keeping busy around the house as you're um, staying in your house and not going anywhere as, as I have been for the past, God, it seems like months, but I know it's only been like about about three weeks or so anyway i'm scheduled to have a, a guest on here and he hasn't uh called in yet but until he does if anyone wants to call in and discuss anything stone and tile related uh the number is 323-870-3968 that's 323-870-3968 uh, a couple of things i'm sure you've seen my um my little video post that I did this morning. And yes, I know I need a haircut, as I'm sure everyone else does out there. But uh, I wanted to uh, just make an announcement that I do I, – what I've done with these correspondence courses, and those of you that are following me on the Facebook page, I've seen that I've been posting on there, is that I've decided since you're sitting home, since business is slow, now may be the time to get that education uh, that you normally wouldn't do because you're so darn busy. So what I've done is I've slashed these prices literally in half so for example, I have the stone and tile inspection and troubleshoot shooting seminar, which normally the correspondence class is about fifteen hundred bucks, and I'm slashing that down to seven hundred and fifty dollars. Now those of you that have been asking me. That's the same exact class that I do live. I do it live every year in Las Vegas. That class to do it live would be $2,500. Everything you get in the correspondence class is identical to what you get in that class other than one, well, two things actually. Uh, the first thing being in the live class, we actually go on a few inspections and we look at failures. And the other thing is they be able to ask me questions on the spot. However, with a correspondence class, you can ask me questions anytime via email or my my telephone number. It comes with a self-guided PowerPoint presentation, as they all do. In other words, it's basically uh, you you take the PowerPoint presentation, you load it on your computer, there's a little speaker on the slides, and then you um, you can hear the voiceover. So if you want more information on that, just simply send me an email, to F. Houston, that's F H U E S T O N at gmail.com. And it looks like we have our, our caller on the line here, or I should say our guest on the line here. Let me introduce Aaron before we get him on the line here. Aaron Crawley has owned a stone shop since 1998, designed and patented the Edgerite tile polishing bench in 2002, founded Fabricator's Friend in 2004, patented and co founded No Lift Systems in 2015, and is the author of Less. I'm sorry, Less Chaos, More Cash, and host of the Fab Lab podcast. So let's go ahead and get Aaron in here. And let me see if you're there. Are you there, Aaron?
1: Hi, Fred. How you doing?
0: Hi, hey, I'm doing wonderful. And you?
1: Uh, doing fantastic.
0: Good. How are things Thanks for there having me on Oregon? the show. Oh, no problem well, at all. Know, Glad it, yeah, you it's,
1: here. Yeah, it's good to be on. Things are, you know, it's not raining right now, so I consider that a huge blessing, and, you know, we're fortunate to still be working, and um, everybody is healthy and and, uh, don't know anybody that's got the virus, so I just feel like we've got a lot to be thankful for.
0: Yeah, I wish I could say the same. Uh, You know, things have been slow on on this end of the country, and uh, I got a call from a friend of mine the other day in New York City who happened to to tell me he knew four people that have died from the coronavirus, so... Gee, it, yeah. I know it's kind of sad. I too don't know anybody other than than that person. I didn't know the people he knew, but it's just it, it, it's incredible. So I'm, from yeah, my, I know the president was just on a few minutes ago, and they think it's flattening out. So let's keep our fingers crossed and hope that's where it's going. So
1: yeah, absolutely. I I second Any- that.
0: Yes. Anyway, let, let's get into the interview. Uh, first of all, let, let's introduce. Uh, you know, I gave you a brief introduction there. But you know, one one thing. Let, let's. I always think this is interesting because I've been in the stone business for God over forty years now. I'm aging myself, but I think it's always interesting to see how people actually got started in the business. So, how did how did you find end up in the stone business? <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> uh, funny story, my. My junior year in high school I got fired working at a gas station and my parents were of the mind that uh you worked and they said you will be working this summer and uh so I went out and started knocking on doors and it honestly it was in a business park following up on a lead that turned out to be a dud and I wa- I literally walked into the open door next door didn't even look up at the sign <laughs> and walked in asked if they were hiring and they were and and this was 1993, and so I, I got this job working in a stone shop, and, and my parents were like, what What do you do? And I said, I don't know. It's something about making granite countertops. And at that point, you know, nobody had ever even heard of such a thing.
0: So, uh-huh, that's right.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I spent five years working for that company, worked there my whole senior year in high school, part-time, just fell in love with the work, really enjoyed it, and ended up working for them for another, you know, four or three, four or five years after high school. And in 1998, I, I started my own stone shop.
0: Wow. Well, I mean, that that's incredible. It's, it's always funny. I tell people all the time, you know, once you get bit by the stone bug, uh, it's hard to get out. I mean, I've known, I've known guys yeah. that have had similar beginnings. They They get into it and they kind of get tired of it and they decide they're going to go do something else or go back to jobs they had before. And, God, within a couple of years, they're back into business again. So, it's, it's yeah. kind of funny how it's how, the, it, how it grabs it's,
1: you. It's, yeah, it's such a unique industry. You know, the material in and of itself—just working with you know the, the raw materials that are coming out of the ground—and are so you know just unlike any other raw material that that you was know, manufactured. It's so unique and so different. And that's probably what I like most about it. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure I'm ready to bring my uh my kids into the business and set them on the same career, but <laughs> I, I got a feeling I'm gonna probably be in this business a long time.
0: Yep, yep, <laughs> I are aren't we all you know it's it's funny you should mention that about stone because one of the things I've always told people when when you when you sell sell stone slabs is you know people may be looking at the slab and they may say something like, well, you know I don't like the way that vein's moving right there well I don't like that spot right there and i I, I would always tell them I said, listen, what you have here is no one else has in the world this is a very unique piece this is like a painting yeah. <laughs> and you know and you know I know you have seen it as well as I know I have seen it where we've had people even take slabs and hang them on the wall, you know, as artwork. So it's, it's definitely a a unique, uh, a unique material. And I, I've I've loved working with it. I still love it after 40 years being in this business. So amen to that as well.
1: Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned the art. I, I, I at one point thought I had, you know, a bazillion dollar idea for all of the, the remnants that we had. And I, I actually took, uh, it was probably three or four pieces I had selected, just were really unique. And I found this uh, it's like an aluminum panel that's honeycombed, so it's just very rigid, very thin, and very uh, uh, very light. And so yep. I milled these slabs down to like a quarter of an inch, laminated into these aluminum panels, and then had them framed. I took them to actually a frame shop here, you know, just around the corner from the shop. So I've actually got some art hanging on the wall. Oh, wow. Which
0: is, okay.
1: I, I believed very very similar to you. It it's like art and I think it's worth some of it is, some of it not. Right. It's not a <laughs> exactly. on my wall. <laughs> uh, but yeah I, I, I agree. I think it's that one of a kind and and it it really is art in my opinion. It's beautiful.
0: I love it. I absolutely so, love it. Now yeah. let let's let's get into your you, you currently have a Fab shop, is that correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in that shop, let's talk about, you know, everybody has their niche, you know, especially nowadays where, you know, I can remember back in the days where you could go to a town like Orlando, which my company was originally from, and there was like one or two fabricators in the entire city. Now there's hundreds yeah. <laughs> in that in that same city. So, you know, everybody's got to have a niche. So what's your niche?
1: yeah in the in the countertop fabrication installation, um, our, our specialty is residential what we call residential countertop replacement. and so um, we specialize in offering a very turnkey, very light footprint, um, kind of uh, all inclusive way for a homeowner so we contract directly with the homeowner where we're handling the plumbing, the removal and disposal of the countertops, mm-hmm. the installation, the reconnection of the appliances, minor cabinetry uh, and, and what we, we kind of fell into that probably 15 years ago. It was a space that nobody was really focusing on and, and it just was we, we discovered that those people in that demographic were willing to pay a lot more for that higher level of service and not having to involve themselves in the process and and so we just kind of tailored our business around serving that clientele Uh, it's probably sixty percent of our business the the balance of it is small remodeling contractors where similarly we offer just a very high level of of service convenience short turnaround time um so it's it's predictable for their schedule and uh, we found that those two you know markets if you will are similar enough to where operationally they just flow right through and and, um, you know, when the big crash came in 08, um, the, the retail business was what sustained us. Um, most of our other work went away, and, and that carried us through. And uh, to this day, it's still, you know, our it's our bread and butter. And so oh, um, I, I com- continue to be amazed um, that, that we're charging more than we've now this, – this current circumstance that we're in might change this <laughs> a little bit. Time sure. Time will tell. But we we continue to find even when a lot of people in the industry think that the only way to, to you know, gain sales is, is by the square foot pricing model or going through brokers and lower your price to increase your volume, where we found at at that other end of the spectrum and I'm not talking about like super wealthy super high designer type, you know, clientele, but just affluent um probably baby boom would be the demographic 55 and older those people are willing to pay a lot more just to have somebody take care of all the details for them and so in in a sense we've we've discovered that despite the conventional wisdom that you have to lower your price because it's so competitive there are people that are willing to pay a premium um, not just for a good product but for a good experience and um, so that's that's what we're doing right now. You know, this, this event. But it may look different on the other side of this, but uh, for right now, it's <laughs> it's what we do.
0: Yeah, it's funny you should mention that because one of the things that I had to learn the hard way is that I, I discovered that being cheap and you know, I don't know if cheap is the proper word to use, but maybe the be- best word to use would be inexpensive. Is is definitely not the way to go. Uh, you know, I noticed at least in my business now. I I, I no longer own a shop, uh, but I, I do consulting and inspections. That you know, once if you set a price that's um, I don't want to say a high price, but you know a, a a reasonable price, people tend to value that more than they do. Say go into, and dare I mention the word Home Depot or Lowe's or one of those big yeah. box stores. Yeah. Uh, they tend to they tend to value that. So uh, I'm with you there. I think yep. that's uh, that's a great idea. So are are you seeing yeah. any slowdown now with this coronavirus out there at all? Or are you still pumping away?
1: Oh, oh yeah, yeah. We we track our sales numbers very carefully and, and we just did an analysis yesterday where we're looking at this going well this <laughs> there's a reckoning coming if this doesn't change yep. <laughs> you know the, 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 there's a reckoning but our first half of march really interesting we were 100% we were we were on budget for sales um the first 2 weeks of march the second 2 weeks of march we were at 50% of budget for what we were closing and the first two weeks of April, we're at 25% of what we need to close to sustain the business. Wow. And um, quote volume, it's odd, at least, I and mean, this is just unique to our little business, our quote volume hasn't dropped off at the same rate. So it's like people are still interested. We're still quoting jobs, not at the same rate, but but our quote volume hasn't dropped to the same rate that our sales have dropped. So it's like people are still gathering information. They're still considering it, but they're not pulling the trigger. At the same rate they're getting quotes, and so um, I, I, my hope is, is that you know, if and when this blows over, there's 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 a pent up demand, and thankfully we had a pretty good backlog going into this, so we're still busy doing the work that we had on the schedule. But it's we're chewing through it faster than we're replacing it for sure. So um, uh, that's you know, I... that's up to the minute uh, uh, data. Yep.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think what, what can happen, and, and it, this is my two cents for what it's worth, is that, you know, there's there so many people sitting at home now, and and even myself. I mean, I, I've been sitting at home here for the last three weeks doing work on the on the computer and that, and I'm seeing things around the house I want done. So, I mean, I've, I've replaced a couple cabinets. They actually knocked the wall out, so... I'm wondering if if what what I think is going to happen is what you're saying, is people are saying, you know what, let's replace that countertop or let's redo those cabinets or whatever. Let's get a quote right now, and boy, I tell you, when this whole thing is over with, it's probably going to boom like no 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 tomorrow. So let's hope that's what that's what happens.
1: That's what I'm hoping for. I talked to another business mm-hmm. owner, electrician yesterday, buddy of mine, uh, and and that's his, his his take. He he's convinced that that. It's just a matter of time. People want what they want, and it's just being uh, postponed right now. And so, when it does turn around and that that confidence returns, and people feel safe, you know, returning to whatever the new normal will be, right. we're we're going to have a hard time keeping up. And so, um, I like I like that thought. I'm taking that and saying that's what I'm going to. I'm going to yep. believe that that's what's coming. <laughs> so
0: well, let's hope so. But we still got to manage so the anyway. business
1: in the meantime. Um, exactly. You know, hope. Uh, hope is one thing but we still got we still math is very unforgiving it does not
0: uh yeah. does seem <laughs> swayed by hope i hear you i hear you well we we could talk about this all day long and i probably maybe do another interview one day talk about talk about some of these fabrication issues but i kind of wanted to get into some of the other things that you do uh you know sure. besides the fab shop you know what other type of things i mean i know you do the podcast and all that stuff Why don't we talk a little bit about that
1: yeah. So the podcast. Do you want to talk about the podcast first?
0: Let's talk about everything you do in the stone industry. Okay. In, in addition to the yeah. Workshop.
1: Well, so you, I'll, I'm. I'm probably. Uh, I I think I've discovered as I look back over my my career in the stone industry the. Uh, the inclinations that I've had, I, I'm probably a better problem solver than I am a manager. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've i found myself identifying problems that we've faced, and and then going, God, there's no solution for this. Let's let's see if we can solve this problem ourselves. And on on numerous occasions, uh, three in particular, um, uh, that the solution that I created you know, became a business. And um, so the I, I briefly mentioned the edge right to you, and, and that. Um, I don't even know if that's being sold. That business was sold a couple of times since I was involved, but I had I had done tile edging along with stone fabrication when I first started, and I had developed a piece of equipment that used toggle clamps to push the tile up against an aluminum extrusion. So as I was edging the hmm. tile, even though they might be different thicknesses, it set all the surfaces to the same level, and so I could get a real straight and clean transition line. Oh, nice. And nice. A big tile yeah, I was doing work for a big tile company, and they saw that and they said, Man, we got to patent this thing, which we did. And long story short, I, I, I escaped with a great experience and, a, and some pretty expensive and painful lessons. That <laughs> really, when I, when I look at how much money that cost, and, and it's just, just the hard knocks, you got to do it. But when yep. we launched the no lift, which is a granite countertop or quartz countertop installation cart, uh, about, I think we incorporated that in 2015. So, um, it's uh, it's a piece of equipment that we developed, uh, proved out. You know, having a fab shop and install crews, we were able to prototype it and, and it and refine it and refine it and refine it. And I, I we had no intention of building a business. Absolutely, I didn't. I was like, I already don't want the business I have. I don't want another one. <laughs> but we we got this thing to the point where our installers said, "We're never leaving the shop again without this cart." And we felt that that was. Saying something because installers are pretty particular, um, maybe sometimes bordering on a little cynical. <laughs> so <Yep. laughs> we thought, wow, that's interesting. And what the way the no lift works? No lift install system is the name of the device that we patented and are currently selling. Um, it, it's a electric actuator that lifts the uh, to frame. It looks kind of like a sheetrock rock cart. It's got a frame with an electric actuator on it, and that frame has little feet that kick out, and it lifts the countertop up to cabinet heights with a remote control you know, Mm. wand on your, on your uh, lanyard, that battery powered actuator does all the lifting. And then that frame actually uh, rotates on a pivot point. So you can then pull this pin, it unlocks it, it rotates into the horizontal, you can fine tune your height, and then you just are able to slide your, your big, heavy, awkward 3CM countertops off that cart onto the cabinetry. Um, And where we just over the, I mean, it's probably been 15 years since I installed on a even a semi-regular basis, but I still have back problems to this day that I deal with from packing three CM countertops in. And so originally we started, it was like, we just, we cannot keep chewing guys up and spitting them out. It just, it's, it's not right. It's not economical and we're just tired of it. We got it. We got to solve this problem. So originally it was just, our goal was to build a device that would save our own installers and, um, it turns out it, it was a device that other people really wanted. And so that's really, um, I'm very glad that we did that because it's having a huge impact on a lot of installers. We talk to guys virtually every day that either are themselves broke down and can't install anymore or have former installers that, you know, they just can't do it. They're running equipment or templating or, or they just gotten out of the business altogether because lifting the counters day in and day out, just wore them out. And, uh, so that's probably the most exciting thing. I I, I feel like that's doing the most good um, for the most number of people. Um, and and well, uh, thankfully, I got a great business partner that's running that business. And I um, like I said, I'm not a great manager, so I try and stay out of <laughs> <laughs> it. You
0: know, yeah, part of the success of business is knowing where your weaknesses are and where your strengths are. So, amen to that. So you know, yeah. I also yeah, I can also see where where a, t- a table like that uh, not only you know, or you're saving your back, but you probably have less breakage too on installs. I would imagine. You do. It's
1: it's astonishing, and and we'd never really assessed what installing was costing. You know, us on a day to day basis, monthly basis. What's our labor? What's our breakage? Um, is there a way to do this? You know, more efficiently so we can get more done. And and the cart, it, we 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 were fortunate. Almost miraculously to to stumble into a really i i wouldn 't even say stumble there was a divine appointment where we met and formed an alliance with a ramp manufacturer it 's called mm-hmm. the roller ramp, and we 've got exclusive distribution into the stone industry for this this aluminum ex- ramp that rolls up it 's got a thousand pound capacity. Um, very compact, very light, but extremely useful. And so, the combination of having that ramp, where probably 75% of the jobs have one to four stairs getting into the work area, yeah. having the cart that does the lifting, um, the combination of those two factors probably increases our 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 installers' output by 25 to 30%. It just, wow. even though they're having to wait for the actuator to lift the counter cabinet height. The cumulative advantage of all of that, we get way more work out. We're not sending shop guys to the field like we used to because there are just some L-shapes and awkward counters that you just – two guys simply cannot put those in place safely. Um, We eliminated all of that shop labor going to the field, which is costing us way more than we realized. And then we're not breaking countertops like we used to because guys are fatigued. They're wore out. they got a piece halfway installed, and it binds up on the wall. And you know, by that point they just won't have anything left and and so yeah, breakage, faster and we're not wearing out our installers anymore. Um it just it makes sense and we we originally installed it just purely for the, the health aspect of it, is we just can't keep doing this to our guys.
0: Right they kind of discovered <laughs> after
1: sense. the fact that you know, it was a huge labor saving and money making device. Um, so it's kinda of, it's the best of both worlds.
0: Makes sense. So, what what is this fabricator's friend? What is that all about?
1: Yeah, so that's another problem. I you know I went to work in a stone shop back you know 25 years ago when wet polishing was just starting. They were still using sandpaper and aluminum oxide oh. when I that was just phasing out when I went to work in the shop.
0: Uh, I remember and, those days. Uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> I've only heard about them. I I first uh. polishing I did was with a <laughs> set of wet pads but I being soaking wet all the time and it's just like man that's a miserable job. So anyway, probably within a year of starting my shop, I was talking to a buddy of mine and who and we're up here in Oregon, you know, we don't get real extreme winters, but it's cold. Uh and so when you're sopping wet from, you know, October to May, it it just isn't a real fun job being out polishing no. in the shop. <laughs> and uh I was talking to a friend of mine who waterskied year round and I and I said No way. I I don't believe, I never heard that before. And he's like, yeah, we ski year-round. And I was like, how? It's too cold. And he's like, we wear dry suits. And I was like, I mean, you mean a wetsuit? And he's like, no, I mean a dry suit. So long story short, he describes to me what a dry suit is. It's this, you know, polyurethane-coated nylon material fabric that has these rubber wrist seals and neck seals and ankle seals and the first thing that popped into my mind was a sleeve that i could wear while polishing to keep my sleeves wet and so i i no joke i went as soon as i got done talking to him i was so excited i could hardly stand it i went this back when there's still phone books i looked up ski like supplies or ski boat and there's a there was a, a boat store t- t- town over and i called him i said hey you guys got dry suits and they said yeah I literally beelined it to that, that boat store, <laughs> went in, Where's your, where are your dry suits? Okay, they're in the back. I went back there, and Fred, I'm not kidding with you. Yeah, I, I put my <laughs> arm into the sleeve of one of those dry suits, and that wrist seal formed around my wrist, and I went, I will never hey, no. have soaking wet sleeves again. And, and wow. here's the, the greater irony. The manu- two of the biggest dry suit manufacturers in the country are outside of Portland. Um, one of them was called OS (laughs) systems. The other one was USIA. They, they both manufactured dry suits and I formed a a relationship with them and had some prototypes made again, never intending to sell them. I just like, I want, I called them. I said, Hey, can I get like a defective sleeve lopped off of an old suit or something? And (laughs) anyway, they made me a couple of pairs and I was like, Oh, this is heaven. So I passed a few pairs out to my buddies that had it still fabricated. And, and it was, Long story short, that sleeve became an entire business, and we, so we developed um, the stone sleeve, which was our first product, and then we developed um, what we call the bulletproof apron, which is uh, kind of back to the point about high-end retail. Um, there were no good aprons on the market, you know, 15 years ago. It was a rubber gasket wow. with a shoe string around your neck, and that's what everybody wore, and they were heavy, they were hot, they were uncomfortable, uh, they wore out fast, and and so I went to our manufacturer and I said, "Hey, man, I wanna, I wanna build like the most wild, over-the-top apron that you could possibly invent, and let's see if we could sell them." And so we just came up with some, used some materials that were conducive for that: uh, thousand denier Cordura, Gore-Tex fabric that was real waterproof, neoprene neck strap, put a pencil, just stuff that a stone oh. fabricator <laughs> would like to have on his apron. And and just like the sleeves, it's so funny. We we took these back to our the buyers at the time, you know, Vic International and Hard Rock Tool and Braxton Bragg and all those old companies that that were selling hey. tooling back then, and they all said, no one's ever going to spend sixty bucks on an apron. It'll never happen. No one, <laughs> no one is going ever going to be willing to spend sixty five bucks on an apron. And I'm not kidding you. Fifteen years later, we we continue to sell an apron that's two or three times the average cost of a, of a cheap apron. And we literally, it never stops. And, and it, I think it's just a testament that people do value value. And Absolutely. and so we just built a product that, that people really liked. And, it stand, and one of the problems with the product is it doesn't wear out fast enough.
0: <laughs> we, we didn't
1: engineer enough, you know, failure into it. So we have guys <laughs> that tell us, man, I've had an apron for five years. And um, we sell him a fifteen dollar replacement neck strap, which again shows I'm not the greatest businessman. But um, <laughs> so we got a couple of aprons. We, in fact, just today, literally, it's sitting on my chair on the other side of the desk. We've been prototyping a set of bibs. Um, we got a, a two aprons, the sleeves. We got a, a jacket that's really amazing. If you got guys that are you know, standing in an undermount sinkhole, um, polishing the jacket's really cool. And then we're going to introduce a set of bibs here pretty soon. Um, cool. So that's Fabricator's Friend. Um, you can buy that stuff at all the – every every tooling distributor carries our product line, but you can buy them direct at fabricatorsfriend.com as well.
0: Cool. All right, so let's let's talk about your uh, – let's see, well, should we talk about your podcast? Then we'll talk – let's talk about your book first. What about this okay. book, Less Chaos, More Cash? What's that all about? other than what Okay, it well, I, <laughs>
1: what, what well that kind of the, the title gets to my personal experience being in business. It it was a chaotic
0: <laughs> zoo.
1: Um un, until I learned some some real basic and fundamental truths about how to you know, I guess in a nutshell, how to delegate and how to manage people, and um, kind of my unique – not that that's anything new. I mean people have been writing books on that forever, and there's probably a million books every year written on that subject, but I think I've kind of got a unique take on it On, on for craftsmen in particular, you know, stone fabricators, tile installers. I, I like to call them the men who have – women who have mastered their craft – um, they find themselves in this this very interesting journey, the journey of the craft master craftsman. they they develop the skill they they you know they spend five six seven years just you know uh, becoming an expert in that work and and they go into business for themselves and before very long because of the great work that they do because of the mastery of that skill, the demand for their mastery of that skill exceeds their the number of hours that they have and so yep. They have to hire somebody to help them keep up with the demand that they've created by their great work, and that's where things tend to break down. So I've got a my 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 take on it is that most master craftsmen fall into what I call the deadly assumption, and that's the belief that some work is so simple and obviously important that it need not be explained. Um, And and what I mean by that is is a master craftsman gets to the point where he does not have to think about the work that he's doing. He can do it. It's second nature, it's subconscious. Yep. They can they can walk into a room, they can walk into a shower, whatever the situation is and just do amazing work. And and I think most craftsmen don't aren't even conscious of that. They don't even realize the no. level of mastery that they have attained. It's just what they do. It's just like driving a car you you clutch yep. and gas and brake and shift while you're drinking a cup of coffee listening to the radio and putting a donut in your mouth you don't even think about it it's so second right. nature and so the problem with that is is when that craftsman hires somebody to help him continue to multiply his great work here's a here's a scenario I'll I'll try and I'll try and make a hypothetical so master craftsman hires a helper maybe even somebody that's got a couple of years of experience and says, hey, go out and lay out this and set this floor. You know, i got to get in here and do, you know, the, the, the entryway or the backsplash or go, go prep that shower pan or grout the backsplash. Comes back three hours later and goes, what, what are you? how is this possible? What are you doing? Either A, you didn't get anything done, B, you did it wrong, you know, C, I would have never done it this way, and, and the master craftsman's response is oftentimes great frustration. Right. Um, True. And if that employee's been out of his sight long enough, there's a problem that's probably been created. Now the customer's upset because what they were promised isn't what was delivered. And so it's chaotic. You you get the scenario where the, the master craftsman, by hiring people and assuming that what he does so naturally and, and by second nature and so subconsciously is, is the same for everybody that he hires. And so... Um, the deadly assumption, the belief that some work is so simple and obviously important that it need not be explained. And I know this from personal experience. That's I basically wrote it off my own experience of and and, and I've had the benefit, you know, I've got I've got three managers that work for me that have been here twenty years, sixteen years and ten years respectively, and, and I've had so I've been able and they're all master craftsmen in their own right. And I've been able to observe them managing their departments and, and falling into the exact same tendency, this trap, that they hire somebody, they delegate it, they here's your job, and then they're frustrated at the result that's that's not to their expectation and And so I think it's true for for virtually every every master craftsman, that frustration, that just I shouldn't have to explain this, if I have to explain this right. to you then I clearly have the wrong employee, I think is a very common response to this conundrum that a master craftsman finds himself in. So instead of walking into that room and saying, okay, let me tell you how I expect you to lay this out. I want this to be the first tile, and I want it to start here, but not here. I want it to end over there. This is how square this has to be, and this is how I'm going to measure whether you did this right. Um, I want this dimension, you know, for the the grout joints, um, or I want this much you know mixture for your you know your I'm not very familiar with shower pans but I'm familiar enough that there's a mixture there for those products and the slope right. and where you set the drain that's the gap is being able to set those expectations um, so thoroughly that the master craftsman is able to transfer and multiply what he does so well through the people that he hires because he is so carefully explained what the result is that he wants he's he's provided the standards by which he's going to measure that work and then where necessary has provided the written instructions so that employee can refer back and and what i've dis and so my book less chaos more cash is, is that that's the essence of it is how does a master craftsman take what he has spent years and in some cases decades mastering and then multiply that through his employees instead of becoming extremely frustrated and, and and giving in to the temptation to fire everybody that he hires because he's not happy with their work, but instead to effectively delegate. Um, I got a little acronym the process and it, it pro is an acronym for position result and operation and so when a when an owner or a craftsman wants something done you've got to assign that task very clearly to a position in the company you've got to define the result that you want in measurable explicit standards i mean like down to what the 16th how how is this going to be measured and then the operation is you've got to provide written instructions in some cases and when an owner or a craftsman or a master craftsman can do that for his employees, that chaos, that always going around putting out fires and upset customers over here and employees that are doing something wrong over here, and um, it, it just it just transformed my entire business experience when I began to learn how to implement that kind. Number one, realize this isn't my employees' fault.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: the fact that they cannot read my mind is not their fault. the The fault lies with me, and the fact that I fail repeatedly to explain exactly what I want them to do, when, where, how, how well. And it's on me to communicate that effectively. And when I do, it's like it's like magic. I don't get the calls. I can leave the shop for half a day, and nobody even asks if, where I went because they didn't need me because I explained it to everybody. And okay. and that's the essence of less chaos, more cash when well, when I an mean, owner or a master craftsman can do that. I
0: mean, we're going to have to have you back on the show again because, I mean, boy, you, you telling that story got me thinking of a, a whole slew of questions we could probably spend a good hour on. You know, one of the things – you know, I, I fell into that trap way back in the very beginning as well, but I, I also had employees who also – who were master craftsmen, and they fell into that. So it was like – I've got tons of questions on that, so we're, we're going to leave that for right now because I think we're going to do another interview just on that subject alone because that's that's uh, so. I'd
1: love. to oh, so yeah, get And I'm sorry if I'm <laughs> monologuing. If I if
0: oh, no, not at all. Shut me down I if did, you need re- me to
1: stop. <laughs> no, no,
0: that's really interesting. I mean, it's like I said when as you were telling that story, I'm like, oh wow, what about this? What about that? Well, I got to ask him this. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that'd be great. So let let's get off that subject right now, you know, as great a subjects okay. as it is, and let's talk about FabLab. Uh, your podcast
1: yeah so um kind of the same the same thing i i um well back up a little bit so back in 2007 i had my uh, I, I had an idea i wanted to uh i had this idea for an article and i i went to a guy that was doing a, a class on writing and so i went and attended this class and, and part of that payment for that class was a free 30-minute consultation for a writing project and so I went to the class and then I I submitted my article idea to him and he helped me edit it and I submitted it to Stone Business Magazine back in 2007 and they published it to my absolute astonishment (laughs) (laughs) and and then I was like that was fun I want to do that again and and before too long i i was writing a regular column for stone industry news i wrote for stone business magazine i and then for years i wrote for uh, the slippery rock gazette and then i just kind of burned out i just felt like i'm starting to have to say the same thing i've already said three times and i'm not sure i can say (laughs) the same thing again without just completely (laughs) repeating myself and i told her i said i gotta stop and uh but I just – I discovered I loved communicating. I just absolutely it's, – it's like this – I just – I, I – so I didn't write for about two years. And then, gosh, about two years ago, not – maybe a little over – I guess we started the podcast two years ago. So it was probably two and a half years ago. I'd never heard a podcast in my life. Someone told me, and I went. I looked up this subject, and lo and behold, there's this guy with this podcast. And I just – I couldn't get enough he had he was just talking about the subject I was so interested in and there was just hundreds of episodes and every conceivable nuance of this particular topic and then it dawned on me, I wonder if I could do a podcast talking about the same stuff I used to write about or the you know, the stuff in my book. Sure. The stuff that I'm really passionate about. One of my I guess you could say one of my uh hobby horses is or or, or, or rants would be is that our the stone industry, granite countertop fabrication, installation in particular. I don't know if it's quite to the same degree in the tile industry, but definitely in the stone business the the fixation on equipment. Mm-hmm. Um as as though equipment and not time. We've got all kinds of equipment in our shop. I could talk about it but that's of no interest to me. What I've discovered is that if I can't manage my business effectively, all the equipment in the world does me no good. True. And and I was perpetually frustrated by the focus and it just like the amount of attention that was put on the tooling and the blades and the CNCs da, 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 and the saws and the, the template thing and the whatever and it, to the great exclusion of kind of the subject in my book, how do we help these master craftsmen expand their business because if you can't teach a guy how to program the CNC, you're going to be down there programming it at 10 o'clock at night because no one else can do it. And now
0: yep.
1: what's the point of having this machine that runs if you got to program the dumb thing?
0: Right. <laughs> and so
1: I felt like there was this big opportunity to speak to the business aspect, to, to, to just avoid and to kind of ignore all of the – the technical stuff and say, let's talk about leading employees. Let's talk about hiring. Let's talk about managing. Let's talk about sales. Let's talk about the other 95% of your business. Exactly. (laughs) It's probably really a mess right now, but you've got this, you've been sold that this, this new piece of equipment or whatever is going to be the thing that makes all your problems go away. And um, so basically we say that we focus on the business side of your stone shop. That's, that's, anything related to, like I said, leadership, management, sales, hiring, writing writing processes, um, how to document, you know, how to write a sales, you know, uh, presentation and, and, teach yourself sales staff to use it, how to qualify customers. Um, we get, we have some great guests on there, just a, a wide variety of, of people from the industry that are, you know, experts in their field. And, um, and so we just, we just try, I just am trying to be that one voice in the industry saying, let's talk about the business. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> talk about that's the a business. great, great idea. And that's that's kind of the essence of it.
0: It's a great idea. So uh, how do so, people find it, this podcast? I imagine it's on Apple podcast and all the other podcast sites.
1: Yeah, you, you can go to iTunes um, and just just search for Fab Lab podcast. It'll pop up. Uh, Google Play is another one. There's like twenty. Yep. I didn't even know yes. there was that many platforms for listening to podcasts. Yes. You can also listen to it on my website, so AaronCrowley.com. You can just go there and, and listen to it. Um, in fact, that's where you can find my book, Less Chaos, More Cash. Um, is it AaronCrowley.com? And in fact, I have. Uh, you can download the first three chapters of my book for free. Uh, it's right there on the homepage, um, and so you can you can go there and read the first three chapters and listen to. I think I think we're going to record the ninety seventh episode uh, Friday.
0: Oh wow! Congratulations. Um, so we're,
1: we're, we're, yeah, we're coming up on the hundredth episode, so that's kind of fun. So, um,
0: great. Well, Aaron, you're you're a wealth of information, man. I tell you, we could we could turn this into two or three shows, but unfortunately, we're running out of time. Um, so, a- any last minute words of wisdom before we say goodbye?
1: Ah, boy, I don't. I'm not sure how wise I am if I have any of those. I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll end with this. Let, let's all, let's all look to what we have to be thankful for right now. There's a lot to be worried about. There's a lot to be concerned about because we don't know the future. But, but let's focus on what we do have to be thankful for. And, uh, and anywhere we have an opportunity to help somebody else, I think that uh, that brings us great fulfillment and joy, and uh, will help us get through this time.
0: Great. And do you want to give out your contact information, your website again one last time?
1: Oh, sure. Thank you. Uh, It's AaronCrowley.com a uh, a r o n c r o w l e y dot com. You can email me from there if you want to send me an email, um, and and see the things that I've got going there. And so, yeah, anybody wants to reach out and talk further about this subject, that's that's my passion, man. If I never see another countertop ever again, I it will be okay. <laughs> but but what I really love doing is is helping other helping other craftsmen, you know, figure out how to improve their business.
0: Perfect. Well, I thank you very much. This was a, a great interview, and like I said, if you're interested, let's we'll go ahead and set another one up here sometime in the near future and uh, talk a little bit more about your book and about some of the other subjects, even stone fabrication, other than maybe equipment. We'll talk about the business side. <laughs> I'm not the best guy to
1: talk about that, but Fred, I'd be honored to do that, and, and thank you so much for the opportunity to be on your show.
0: You're very, very welcome, Aaron. Have a good one, and keep safe out there, okay?
1: Hey, likewise. Take care.
0: All right, bye-bye. bye-bye. Yeah, that, that's a great, uh, great, great, great interview. Great great interview, guys. And, uh, you know, hopefully you got his contact information. That'd be great. All right. Uh, I'm going to take a break here real quick, uh, play a commercial for you, and I'll be right back right after this. Are you looking for quality greenstone working products? ESP sells many lines of fine quality, environmentally safe products. Stone Pro, NB Stone Care, Bondstone, and Touchstone Adhesives more stone care products, easy care products, and better bio, which is over 80% bio-based and approved by the USDA. For more info, visit ESPSales.net. That's ESPSales.net. All right, folks. I'm back, and uh, you know, I, I guess I should finish up what I was talking about at the very beginning of the of the show, and that is my correspondence class. Uh, if you want more information on it, just go ahead and go to my website, which is stoneforensics.com, or just go ahead and drop me an email at Houston, f h u e s t o n at gmail.com. We got a lot of great shows coming up here in the future. Uh, one of the advantages of of, of sitting here uh in my office is that uh, i've lined up a lot of great interviews coming up a lot of great information for you guys so uh, also i'm always looking for people if uh, you know someone that wants to be interviewed if you want to be interviewed uh, simply drop me uh, an email so folks thanks for listening until next time keep setting those tiles polishing that stone and fabric later my friends thank you tough skin one of our gold sponsors marble etches and stains tough skin guarantees it will not Tufskin provides a unique product and installation service anywhere in the USA with the proprietary stone laminate products. They protect marble countertops with an acid, oil, and waterproof guarantee. That's right, it's now possible to install marble, onyx, and travertine countertops without the worry of etching and staining from common household items like wine, lemon, coffee, or other acidic foods. People have been trying to figure this out for thousands of years, and Tufskin Surface Protection has done it available in gloss and satin to match the countertop finish visit them online at toughskinprotection.com that's t-u-f-f skinprotection.com to learn more